Hey there, beautiful people. So as many of you probably know by now, many of the issues I discuss on my show can be rooted back to how we feel about ourselves. A low sense of self-worth can be the catalyst for many of these issues. And if that sounds a little familiar, it's probably because you read my book, Life After Low Self-Esteem. I wanted to talk about my experiences overcoming low self-esteem and also create a helpful guide that others could use to help themselves. Now, to be clear, I'm not a medical professional. I'm simply someone who struggled with low self-esteem and low self-worth and managed to find my way out of that. And you can as well. On my website, I also have helpful tools such as an assertive communication worksheet and a worksheet on setting effective boundaries. And you can download those from my website for free. So check out Life After Low Self-Esteem on Amazon, available in ebook and paperback format. The Demetrius Show podcast covers a variety of topics concerning mental health. This occasionally includes topics such as depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and thoughts some people may find distressing to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Each episode dealing with mental health is meant to be a general discussion and not meant to take the place of advice or treatment from any licensed medical professional. If you are needing mental health advice and or treatment, please speak with a mental health professional. He's three and a half and I never, I love my children. Don't get me wrong. But when you're under that depression and anxiety and all of that darkness, it's a different kind of love. It's more like survival. And this was like just an explosion of my heart. And Mm -hmm. it brought tears to my eyes. And each day I get that feeling again and again. And I never had that before. So if anything, I kick my butt for not doing it sooner. Sometimes it feels like antidepressants don't work, especially when you first start taking them. It seems like it does more harm than good. I know it did for me. I was nauseated all the time, could barely eat, slept a lot. It was very overwhelming at first. Opinions on whether antidepressants make a difference or not can be a little polarizing, especially with the advent of more natural and holistic approaches. However, while I can't speak for everyone, I can certainly say it helped me out in the long run, and I still use them today. In fact, I think I mentioned sharing that sentiment with a rather confused Starbucks barista in the preview for this podcast. I have zero shame. And whether you choose to use them or not, you shouldn't have any shame either. But today, we're not really going to focus on whether or not antidepressants work. To be honest, I'm definitely not qualified to get into all that anyway. Instead, I'm joined today by Jackie Norton, who also has extensive experience with antidepressants. Now, just a reminder, neither of us are medical experts. And this is just going to be a general discussion. Please don't take any of this as medical advice. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome to The Demetrius Show, where I learn how to walk through my shadows, picking the flowers I've grown through sheer resilience. And I may not know enough yet to start teaching, but I'm going to keep convincing you to keep pushing. I'm Demetrius, and this is my life after speaking. According to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, antidepressants work by aiming to increase the availability of chemical messengers 
also known as neurotransmitters such as serotonin. Depression, for instance, is usually caused by an imbalance of chemical messengers, and antidepressants work to remedy that in various ways, depending on the particular brand used. Of course, when taking antidepressants, there will likely be side effects such as dry mouth, headaches, dizziness, and sexual problems. Whether or not a person will have these side effects will depend on the type of drug, the dosage, and whether or not they have just started taking it or have been taking it for some time. So when I initially researched all of that, I was terrified. I didn't want anything to do with antidepressants. I was like, girl, I don't know. I'm already kind of throwing it off right now. This might just make it worse. But in the end, I was able to comfortably acclimate to using it. However, of course, mileage may vary for the individual, and that's okay. And that's why it's important to discuss how we interact with antidepressants from a place of compassion and understanding, not judgment and shame. Which is why I invited Jackie Norton to talk about her experiences. Jackie is not afraid to be open and honest, and I truly felt like she would be the best person to talk to about this. So let's bring her on. Yes, I am 37 years old. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a stay-at-home mom. I used to do hair. I just moved here from Los Angeles, California, and I have a podcast as well. (laughs) What's the name of that podcast? It is the Mama Jack, and it just real raw parenting stuff. That's what That's what we talk about on there. You said you moved from Los Angeles to Atlanta. What's that been like for you? You know, it's actually not as much of an adjustment as I thought it would be. The only thing I have to say is I totally miss the food in LA, like, and the beach, beach and food. Other than that, like, I'm loving because I live like 20 minutes outside of the city of Atlanta. I'm actually in Sandy Springs and it's like I'm close enough to the city that I could go there when I want because I am a city girl but Mm -hmm. I live in the forest and I grew up in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania so it's nice to have that but not have the like crazy winter so I'm actually loving it down here which I never would have thought I would ever say in my life like if you would have asked me 10 years ago I would have been like hell no am I I'd never go to Atlanta you know (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm liking it a lot. I am. Awesome. So yeah, you mentioned that you kind of live in a forested area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good that you get kind of an escape from the yeah. city a little bit. Does some wonders for us. I, I like to go to there trails nearby me. I'm in DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth. And it, it's nice to kind of get that feeling, but also know that you're not too far removed from civilization. Like that you can still escape backwards, I guess. Yes. And... <laughs> retreat back into your your little my little apartment you know yes absolutely okay well today we're getting into the conversation of antidepressants and it is one of those subjects where you're we're kind of at the cusp of where people are pushing forward a more holistic approach to mental health and there's also so we have that little balancing act going on right now where you have those that you know look at antidepressants as, you know what, I need these. Absolutely. I'm one of those people. And you have those who are like, absolutely not, never going to do it. 
you shouldn't do it type of situation. And so can you share what were, when you were first advised to start taking antidepressants? Okay, so I was in an almost fatal car accident when I was 18 years old. And I had normal PTSD afterwards and then everything faded and it was all fine and glorious. When I was in my early 20s, probably like 23 or 24, I started getting random panic attacks like random, what I thought was random. And so I went to see somebody because depression and anxiety runs in my family. And I did know, you know, that would be happening Well, they diagnosed me with PTSD and anxiety and depression. And oh my God, was it like a thing with the at first I they put me on Wellbutrin and that mm-hmm. like crazy like literally made me have like 10 panic attacks a day and then they put me on Prozac because I also have PMDD so they were like oh just take it you know a couple days before well that made me like crazy as well and when I say crazy I mean like panic attacks, depression, like it almost did the exact opposite of what it should have. And so I found they finally put me on Zoloft. And I had I think at the time at a van for panic attacks. So I was on and my, my whole family is on Zoloft. I was on Zoloft for about maybe three or four years. And it made me gain 30 pounds. And when I tell you, I worked out every single day, no Mm -hmm. joke, seven days a week, I could not take off that weight. And I was feeling good. I was getting married. So I decided, you know what, it's been a long time since I felt horrible. I've been working out a lot. I understand that can help with depression and, and anxiety too. So I went off of it and it was great. Like I had, I think they switched me from Ativan to Xanax and that was strictly for panic attacks, but I didn't even, I would end up having to like, the bottle would expire before I used everything in it. We'll put it to you that way. Mm -hmm. So like me working out and everything was working and it was great and eating healthy and that was amazing. Now I carried that lifestyle into my thirties and I got pregnant And that changed everything. I had horrible postpartum depression with my first. I was pumping with him. And I know Zoloft was safe, but I didn't want to go back on Zoloft because it made me gain weight. And it made me feel like a zombie. I left that part out. I felt like I didn't have highs or lows on Zoloft. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to go back on that. I had every therapist. I was going to see therapists and trying to pull myself out of this with exercise, with talking to people, with meditation. I've done it all. I've done it all. I actually learned mindfulness meditation through a PTSD like group thing that I used to go to. And it worked for me for a while. But I mean, those hormones, man, they are they're wicked. And So after my son, it was like two years and I was still up and down, up and down, you know, no sex drive at all, like nothing. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, what the hell? Like I was even thinking to myself, I was like, am I not attracted to my husband? And I literally, and I told him this before, I would imagine myself like with other men and it just disgusted me. Like it, every, all of it just was disgusting to me at the time. And I'm like, whoa, that isn't me. Like, that's weird. Plus I just couldn't stay happy. I would have happy moments. Most of my life was dark. I got pregnant again. So of course, we're 
dealing with the whole, I don't really want to be on anything when I'm pregnant. I know it's hormones. I can handle it. My husband was traveling a lot and I didn't have a lot of support and it was really hard. Now I had that baby and I thought everything had lifted. And I was like, oh my God, she's my twin flame. I feel so good. So I did not have baby blues with her. I had them with my first though. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, it hit me like a brick wall. Mm -hmm. I would have days where I was super happy and everything was fine. And then days were literally, I was self-harming. I was, you know, thinking like I was resentful towards my kids that they were here because it would be easier for me not to be here. So clearly I needed help. And at this time I'm working out, I'm meditating, I'm taking time for myself. The only thing I could not do was leave, you know, taking time right. for myself meant like a bath, being in the room and watching a movie while my husband watched the kids maybe like that's what it looked like. So something happened. My son got sick. And I just snapped. Like, I literally broke. I couldn't do anything. I was afraid of my children. Like, they would come close to me and I would jump. That's how, like, afraid oh, of no. them I was. It was so crazy. I ended up having a mental breakdown. I pretty much had a panic attack that lasted five days. And my psychologist was like, okay, Jackie, well, you have a couple choices. You can go to intake. You can go to the hospital. Or you can find a psychiatrist right away because clearly we have all the tools and they're not working anymore she's like i'm not going to force you to be on anything but at this point i would suggest i think you need a little more help okay. so i found a psychiatrist and immediately she put me on Kalanapin and Celexa and you know went through the first cup i mean being on Kalanapin, i was on it two times a day and then Celexa it was like totally calmed me down, right? But I was still, you know, I don't think the Celexa had kicked in until like maybe a month afterwards. And I actually had to go up and up on it. So mm. finally, like I'm more level headed now. And it is something like that did not come easy. I mean, I fought, I fought to not be on medication. And I don't even know why, because I'm the type of person that's like, do it. Like you should, if you need that tool, absolutely do it. Yep. Like if you want to be off of it, it's like, for me, I look at it as it doesn't have to be permanent, right? Like maybe you need it for a time and you can figure out the tools and then you can go on and go off of it. And then maybe you have to go back on it. No big deal. But I fought about medication for a long time, mostly because I was breastfeeding and I didn't want the Zoloft though. So yeah. finally they were like, okay. You're breastfeeding. Like I wasn't breastfeeding. I was pumping. Your pumping journey needs to end because you're on Klonopin now. And it calmed my ass down. And I have so many regrets not doing it sooner for myself. Okay. I haven't felt this good. Don't get me wrong. I still have my downtime. I'm still healing from my mental breakdown. I have moments now, but it's good with moments 
of anxiety, with moments of depression, yes. moments of that kind of stuff, which is normal, right? That's what mm-hmm. we're all striving for. And I have the tools to calm myself down. And with the combo of the medicine, it works now. Yes. So it's been magical for me. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's been my best friend. This one, I haven't gained weight. If anything, I've lost weight. I feel like I can be myself again. Like, I feel it's such a relief. It's such a relief. And I just remember having this moment where my son came in and he said something funny, you know, and my heart just lit up and I laughed. And it was a different feeling than I ever felt before. And I just thought to myself, I was like, this is what the love of a parent is meant to feel like. And I felt so guilty because I was like, he's three and a half. And I never, I love my children. Don't get me wrong. But when you're under that depression and anxiety and all of that darkness, it's a different kind of love. It's more like survival. And this was like, just an explosion of my heart and Mm -hmm. it brought tears to my eyes and each day I get that feeling again and again and I never had that before so if anything I kick my butt for not doing it sooner of course and you're right about how depression and anxiety can kind of take you from you know where you you can't sort of rationalize it the way that you want to rationalize things. And it takes kind of having to come back into yourself some kind of way, right? To where you can then make those rational rationalizations and see things for what they are. You know, I I went through my own episode a few years ago when the pandemic first hit, where of course you're, you go from one day, you're not wearing a mask and you can walk into a grocery store and it's just like every other day. Then the next day, everything's shut down. There's nothing on the shelf everyone's got on a mask and it just seems like the world's ending and I was then told you have to work from home permanently and I don't like to work from home I like to be in the office I like to have the separation and so going from that sudden shift that was when I had my nervous breakdown and I remember I woke up one day and just similar to you I had stopped taking medication because I was doing good at the time and it was just like I woke up that day I did everything that I normally do I picked up Starbucks and brought it back home you know I remember I sent out an email and I said good morning to my peers on the chat that we have for work. And I got an a instant message for about something, something kind of innocuous dealing with whatever it is that I needed to do. And I don't know what I, to this day, I still do not know what it was that just triggered me. And it was like, I blinked and I was sending my resignation, blinked again, shutting the laptop, blinked again. I'm heading out the door because I'm turning my stuff in. I can't do it anymore, you know? And looking back, I wish that, you know, I had everything that I needed in place in order to deal with that. Now, some of that, I mean, unprecedented times, right? We weren't expecting anything like that to happen. Nobody was. So you kind of have to give yourself some grace. But once I was able to kind of land where I needed to land and everything, And I got back on the medication, similar to how you were saying how it just made you gain weight. Same thing. I was just like, how is it that I'm constantly, and I'm a pretty active person, like to go running. I'm one of the few people I know in the vicinity that likes to run. You know, I just, I like to go out and I like to walk. I I like to just do things. So that was when I was just kind of like, okay, well, I had a nervous breakdown when I wasn't medicated and I'm gaining weight and I don't feel good about myself still on medication. So I went off of it again, had another breakdown 
or two or three <laughs> again. And that was when I realized that, you know, there has to be some sort of balance to all of this. There has to be a way where I can get what I need from medication, because for me, I do need it. Uh, I don't want to, you know, go any alternative routes right now, because I don't feel like that's working right now in this instant. I want to find a balance so that I can get to, like you were kind of mentioning, where you can get to where the panic attacks aren't every day. The overwhelming feeling of hopelessness isn't every single day and where I can at least function until I get to a point where, okay, maybe I can try other things, but you know, this is where you have to kind of be to ground yourself so that if those things don't work out, it's not just you're wandering around. You don't know what to do with yourself or with anything that you're going through. So definitely that was kind of my journey into realizing that, you know what, I do need to probably be on, I think I'm on Effexor still and working out the dosage. I've now gotten to where I take it as needed, but just knowing that it works for me and it doesn't cause me to put on all this weight. It makes me sweat all the time when I'm sleeping, but it doesn't make me, you know, where if I am eating right and I'm exercising, the scale is just not even trying to budge. And I don't feel like I'm completely just out of it all the time. I do feel a lot more calm when I take it, but It's not so much that I feel as though without it, I simply will never be able to function. But at the same time, I know that that is there in case you do reach that point where you need some additional assistance. And so that's kind of what I, that's the conversation I try to have with people that are very hesitant to take it. Cause I was like that too. I was where I was like, I don't want to be on medication. I just want to figure this out and just go to therapy and blah, blah, blah. Well, the first therapy session I went to where I even mentioned that, he was like, no, take your meds. (laughs) And so I was like, okay. So I took them. And yeah, that first week, I was just like, what is this? Nausea every day, every day, all day. And just, yeah, the first week that I was ever on meds, it was kind of like, I don't even know how to really describe it. It's like everything at first was on 10 and then it eventually just completely calmed down and all I wanted to do was sleep. And then it was like, okay, I think we got this now. And I, I people go through those experiences. Everyone's different with how they react to antidepressants. They go through, like, you know, like we've mentioned those trial and error things in the beginning. And they're like, nope, not for me, not taking it, not fooling with it. But sometimes you kind of, your body has to adjust and have time to figure out what is going to work for you and how you're going to have to make adjustments outside of that. I mean, I got to where change when I eat, when I eat, I had to change when I had to drink more water, had to drink more water, I had to stop eating certain things because if I ate them and I took my medication, I was just going to be nauseated for the rest of the day. And a lot of those things were honestly things that weren't good for me anyway. So yeah. it was kind of like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Just like we were mentioning it, it takes an adjustment period And I think people don't allow that to happen. I think they want to get on the medication and for it to work instantly. And when it doesn't, because it's not going to, they are like, nope, it's a scam. Take me off all these meds. No more of this. I'm going to just, you know, figure it out. And while I do believe that there are alternative methods that will work, I don't believe that we need to just completely forgo any sort of medication that's prescribed to people. No, I... I agree with you. And I, you know what, 
sometimes alternative stuff works and sometimes it doesn't like it's a proven fact that it's a chemical it can be a chemical thing in your body like mm -hmm. so and the interesting thing my psychiatrist actually told me she said okay let's put you on Celexa and this for now let's see how it works okay but there's actually a genetic test now that they can you know you get this test done and it shows markers for what medications will work for you and what won't. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to surpass like hopefully taking, you know, like uh, how I had to do the Wellbutrin and then I had to do, you know, Prozac and then I had to do, you know, all that crap or Zoloft. So it's, and that to me is freaking awesome. Like that's awesome. Like, give me a genetic test and tell me what I need to take to feel better. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. not go through all this craziness. I was in such a state of panic that they gave me Klonopin. So I literally was like a, a high zombie for like a solid two weeks until my body got used to it. And now I still take it, honestly, because I have, to be completely honest with you, I have two toddlers and they drive me insane. Yeah. And that mixed with trauma and postpartum depression. The biggest issue with postpartum depression is when you lose control. Mm -hmm. Not Sorry, not postpartum depression. The biggest issue with PTSD is losing control. Okay, that's normally when people freak out that have PTSD. And you cannot control kids. So I was constantly being triggered. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I just actually had an appointment with my psychiatrist today. And I thought I would be able to start to wean myself off of the Klonopin. And I told her, I was like, you know, I really wanted to come to you today and tell me, like, tell you, like, it's time to go off of it. But I don't think I can. Like, I've had a rough couple weeks. I've needed to take a little more like she gave me a window like I take two a day but I can take half in the middle of the day if I'm like really having a day you know mm -hmm. and it I mean it's intense like for me to have to take that and like like I said it's intense because I'm a meditator I'm a like spiritual person give it to your you know whoever you believe in like I'm all of those things and I've tried all of those things so yeah it really took some humbling and honestly I got scared like I'm a mom I was afraid of my children you know like holy crap how the hell was that gonna work like that can yeah. no so and it horrified me like it hor it broke my heart to pieces and it just made me feel bad for my husband and in some ways respect him because I I was not myself for many years and he supported me and he was there for me and I'm very fortunate to have somebody like that on my side because I know a lot of people don't and he could have easily given up on me and I don't know if I would have been able to you know, return the favor, like as truthful as that is, as sad right. as that sounds, probably because of my mental stability, you know, but, and that sounds messed up, but it's true. He, I, I put him through a lot, you know? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that he has been a sort that has been a pillar for all of you that, you know, that speaks volumes to his character and what he's able to do for your family. I worked with kids for 10 years and I'm going to tell you, you know, I work with all ages, all backgrounds, all neighborhoods, you name it. It's just tough. 
It's mm-hmm. tough. Even the most well-behaved children can still drive you insane. They can be exhausting. I'll yeah. just say it. And it, it's not, I say exhausting. It's not that it's necessarily always a bad thing. It's just that you want to make sure that you are being a source of safety and understanding and love and everything like that. And when you're and you're at those crucial moments in their life and you realize how important that is with each and every interaction you have with them. And so, yeah, you get to a point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this today. (laughs) You know, I had um, I worked at a foster care facility and we had a lot of kids with a lot of trauma, teenagers, you name it. It's a lot of trauma. And there were so many days where, you know, we walked in to that facility because at that point we're pretty much surrogate parents and we're I'm looking and I'm like, this child needs a lot more for me than I am able to give And a lot more than I'd be able to give if I was like their foster parent, because it's just, there's just so much that comes with that. So much responsibility that doesn't end. It never ends. Even when they're old and out of the house, it's still everything that you do, every moment, every single, like I mentioned, interaction, it's so important and it's so crucial. And there are times where everybody has that, where they you feel like you're just failing at it. You feel like you are not reaching them. You feel like you just are not understanding what they need and how to meet those needs. And so I hear you when you say that you've had those times where, you know, they frightened you and you've had to, and you, you know, you've retreated and you've had to kind of go back and find yourself a little bit. And that's completely understandable, completely, because it's hard enough just being a mom on its own yeah. and add to that trauma and add to that all of the things you were needing to figure out in the midst of all of that, that most people don't have to figure out it. Yeah, absolutely. That places a huge emotional burden on you and it, it's very difficult to navigate, but you have been able to navigate it. And so kudos to you. And really that, I hope that's an inspiration to others to see that, yeah, I mean, we all are capable of just completely falling apart. And some of us do a lot more than others. I do, certainly. But there is still a way. It may take a whole lot of stumbles and a whole lot of just crashing and burning, but there's still a way to kind of find your way. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not the way that you envision it, but still being able to manage to come to grips with what it is that you're struggling with and find a way to find that balance between if you have to take, I know I was on 75 milligrams or something, 50 milligrams or something else at some point, (laughs) and still trying to exercise, drink water, doing all that, and just micromanaging my entire life, it seemed like. And other times where you don't have to be as rigid and have that kind of break. And I, I just, you know, I really advocate for people just knowing where you are, accepting where you are with things and yourself. And then from there, just moving on to seeing what will work for you, what will get you to that place where you feel the most at balance. You're not always going to feel 100% at balance. I don't think every anyone does, but the most at balance. And like you mentioned earlier, where they're the anxious and the depressed, it's moments. It's not constant and all the time. It's good and bad. My husband also works away a lot. I do feel... I I hate saying it like this, but it's almost like a single mother that's married. When he's here, he shows up. 
he shows up in big ways, but he very often works 14 hour days where he won't see the kids all week. He's on some, he's on a show right now where he's like six days a week, 14 hours between driving and working. So he literally does not see his children until Sunday and he's so exhausted. So I'm just constantly taking over and the burden it's like, I realized what I was getting into having kids with somebody that works in the film industry, mm-hmm. but you never know until the kids are there and it's you and them, you know, right. it's just now with the medication, they're my buddies. Like they're my best friends. Like my son with what we went through together, he's so special to me and he is literally both of them they saved my life. And I will say that again and again, because if they weren't here, I wouldn't have had an excuse to stay. And they literally were the reason when I was having my horrible, horrible moments where, you know, I would wake up in the morning and cry when I woke up, like I'm here again. Like it was like groundhog's day to me with depression and just the thought of I can't do anything about it because I have kids and I have a responsibility and I want to see them grow up and I want you know I don't want them to not have a mother like they saved my life before the med saved my life very wonderful absolutely how do you feel so going back to people's hesitancy with taking antidepressants how do you feel like our culture kind of informs our relationship with antidepressants? I feel like it's kind of something that's shoved under the rug a bit, right? Like Mm -hmm. people don't normally like to talk about it. I share openly with every, but probably too much. And (laughs) I mean, and people are like, why do you say that? I'm like, because there's always somebody listening that feels like, Maybe they shouldn't or they're in between and you never know when you're going to help somebody by, you know, being the loud mouth person. So I definitely think as a culture, it's almost, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's looked at kind of like a weakness when Mm -hmm. really it's such a strength to get up and do that for yourself. You're showing up for yourself and Whenever you say that you need help, that is showing up for yourself. And that's beautiful. And a lot of people can't do that. So they just suffer in silence, which is horrible. Or they're assholes. And they take it out on everybody else, right? And so I hate that. I hate that it's like that. But I truly do feel like it's something that's brushed under the rug. And I wouldn't say look down on but it is still a little taboo to, for it to be a normal thing. Yeah, I you feel know? like it's misunderstood a lot where, yes. like you mentioned, where people like it, like for instance, I know a while back when I was a supervisor, some, one of my employees was talking to me and I just kind of took out my pill bottle and I was, you know, like, oh, I got to take my medication. And she was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were on antidepressants. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, like, I'm good. But I do need to take these so that I remain in the Christmas spirit for y'all. But but it's not where I'm just like completely going to fall off the wagon here if I if I don't take these, you know. And it's kind of like that day you get some of that sometimes pity from people. They're like, oh my gosh, you know. And especially if you're open about it, people are like, like you mentioned, like 
why are you, you know, talking about this so openly? And it's like, because I, I want to normalize this. I want people to know that it's okay to be open about the pills that you're taking. Well, within reason, right. That you're, you're trying to better yourself and that it's not, you can still, especially in the workplace that you can still function yeah, and you can still do what you need to do. And like, I was a supervisor managing 14 people taking Effexor and me talking about that out loud was kind of like you were saying, you want people to hear that and go, oh my gosh, he's like on medication and has depression and anxiety and everything else. And he can still come to work and he can still do things and accomplish things. And by doing that, that's why I still do that even today. I will, I've been in meetings where, you know, this topic of mental health came up and I was like, came off the mute on the zoom call. And I'm like, I can talk about this. So I take me- And then, you know, everyone's like, Oh my gosh, he's like very open about this. But yeah, I, I, I try to use every opportunity that I can to be honest and open and vulnerable about it because you never know who needs to hear it. I've said it before. you never know who needs to hear it from you. You never know who needs to see you as a person that they can relate to. And you're the one that's saying, yeah, I take 75 milligrams and mostly fall asleep when I get home and all that. But at the same time, I still am able to show up and I'm still able to make it work. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of experimenting, but it's possible. And I think that's the main component is just showing people what is possible for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I'm a stay at home mom and I'll be the first to say if somebody's ever like, how do you do it? How do you have your shit together? And I just laugh and I'm like, I'm on drugs. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm on drugs. It's okay. You just yeah. gotta find a doctor and they they give you what works for you and it's mm-hmm. good. Like I I am not like I don't hold back at all. Like even out I don't really drink anyways but I can't drink on the medication I'm on mm-hmm. especially and people will say like if they ask why aren't you drinking or why can't you drink I'll be like I'm on Klonopin for anxiety and then they shut up right it's like <laughs> first of all why are you asking me that because that's none of your business right. secondly I'm gonna make you just as uncomfortable by telling you the whole truth <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> yeah yeah like i mentioned you know this is christmas spirit in a bottle so let's yes this doesn't come naturally for me right now now moving into do you feel that we have enough resources surrounding antidepressants you mentioned earlier the genetic map do you Mm -hmm. feel that there's anything else that would help in someone's journey and exploration of figuring out what antidepressants or medication works for them. I mean, they always say, look at your family first, right? Mm -hmm. Because they say if it works for somebody in your family, it's normally going to work for you. I would suggest if somebody's looking for something that works for them, talk to people. I mean, Facebook, you can post anonymously. So anonymously post in a group is anybody on an antidepressant, you know, you can post back anonymously. How does it work for you? What did it do for you? But it really like, to me, it doesn't really matter what anybody else is on because you're your own person. And what's good for me might not be good for you, but will be great for her and maybe not so well for him. You know what I mean? So it's just like, 
kind of something that you just got to stick by it. You just have to stick by it and know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel when you Mm -hmm. do find it and you will feel free. Like everything has lifted. Like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't mind once your mind is back on track i guess i could say or just not as clouded i think that sounds better not as clouded then you won't mind all the steps you had to go through to get there because it's so worth it in the end like it's truly so worth it in the end to just feel i just feel like a human i feel like a human again i'm not a shell of myself i'm not this like sad soul fighting through everything like it was a fight everything was a fight no one I mean besides I was very open about it but if you didn't know me and you saw me walking down the street with my kids you would have never known I was depressed and anxious Mm -hmm. like I'm a happy you know we're bright colors like my hair is crazy colors like You'd be like, oh, look, she's giggling with her kids. She's so happy when really I felt like I was dying inside. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the only regret you'll have if you're thinking about going on them is once you find the one that works for you, you'll be mad you didn't do it sooner. That's the right. only that I always tell people that like you're going to be like, how many years, months, weeks, whatever did I sit there and ponder this? when it, it it's just such a lifesaver. It literally saves lives. Thank you for listening to The Demetrius Show. Reviews of this show help expand my audience size and reach new listeners. So be sure to rate it on your preferred listening platform so more people can know about it. Also, if you really love this show, be sure to subscribe to my email list so you can be the first to get news and updates about the podcast and more. And as always, be kind to yourself, be safe, and until next time.